All right. Sorry for the late start, everyone, but it is still a happy Wednesday. And this is episode number 131 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. So if you watched yesterday's episode, we spoke about living and loving your way through grief. And today's episode is going to piggyback off of that one as we talk about how to move on after a suicide loss. And then we'll tackle the question, is suicide the hidden pandemic? All right. But first, let's cue the intro. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. Alrighty. God, I love that music. It fires me up every single time. All right. So before before I bring my guest on, let's talk about some, some notes about, about suicide. It's the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. And in the U.S. last year, I, I got different, different numbers on here. So I, I went through various sites, but it's right around 45,000 people. So you can go plus or minus depending on, on the site. But that, that's a lot of people. And even more alarming, and with this here, it's probably not even all reported, but I have 1.38 million attempts per year, like over a million attempts per year. So, like, I think that that definitely would qualify it as a as a hidden pandemic. But my guest that I'll be bringing on had to live through the nightmare of losing her teenage son to suicide, and so. We're going to talk to her about that, about the ordeal itself, about how she moved on from it and what she's doing now to raise awareness. So she is an accomplished businesswoman. She's a Christian writer. She's a mom, of course. She's a published author and an inspirational speaker. So joining the conversation is Elaine. I didn't ask her how to pronounce her last name, but we'll we'll take a stab at it. Elaine Canelli. <laughs> it's right, yay! <laughs> you know, Good I've for done you a- because very few people get that right, but you got it right. Thank you. <laughs> it's like I've done so many of these shows, and I still keep forgetting to ask people how to pronounce their last names. <laughs> I keep doing it. Oh man! So, so where, where are you joining us from? I'm uh, in Loveland, Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Okay, nice. Is how close is that to Denver? Oh, about an hour away, hour and a half, maybe. Oh, okay, yeah, that's not bad. The only I've only been to Colorado once. I went, I went to Denver. Well, it's like right outside Denver, but it was beautiful. Loved it there. It is a beautiful state to live in. But we just moved here two years ago, right before the pandemic. 
We're here because of grandchildren. Okay, nice. Family is always a great reason to move, always. It is. <laughs> All right. Well, I pre appreciate you taking the time. So I, I know we had some tech issues, so I got to kind of speed speed it up a little to make sure we cover everything in the allotted time. So the question I ask all of my guests, because before we get into the main topic, we want to know about you. All right. So who is Elaine? Well, Elaine is a mom. As you, said, as you said, I'm a grandmother. I was a teacher. I got educated to be a teacher and I love teaching. Um, of course, I was a businesswoman also. My husband and I um, owned uh, retail businesses. He was a pharmacist and I did all the Hallmark shops that went with the pharmacies. And then we moved to the state of Alabama and we lived in Alabama for 21 years. Okay. Loved it there too. It was a, a huge change for us. But then I got in the real estate business and we opened a Keller Williams real estate center in Huntsville, Alabama. And then we retired to the beach in Orange Beach, Alabama. <laughs> and now here I'm in Loveland. So I've traveled about, but um, my mission and my goal is to share my heart and help others heal after the horrific loss of a loved one to suicide. Absolutely. All right. So, so de describe, describe your relationship with, with your son. Oh, it was wonderful. We were normal family. I mean, do you have children? You do? I have five. Oh, well, then, <laughs> you know <laughs> what a normal family is like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's busy. It's active. Um, we never dreamed, Robert, that we would have this situation. Yeah. And our loss was 32 years ago. Yeah. And it took me almost two decades to heal. Took me another decade to write because I had to go back into the pain and yeah. think about and how am I going to put this down on paper? So it's been a long, hard journey for us. But the good news is, is that I've healed. That is, I'm here. I'm happy. I'm whole. <laughs> I'm, I'm I, and I want to pass that on to others because I was stuck for a long time. Yes, like like I mentioned in my my opening my opening speech there that yesterday's episode we we spoke about grief and you know my my guest there she had lost she was married twice and she lost both husbands to, to heart attack and so she was saying that the first one obviously it, it took her took her by, by surprise and she had a very very hard time getting past it and so obviously any any loss of a loved one is devastating but like did you notice any signs in your son that could have tipped you off to it you know sad to say you do see things after the death yeah but honestly i really didn't well in all fairness let me explain that yeah. he was in care yeah. uh, from about 12 years of age. I mean, psychiatric care. Uh, he met with psychologists and therapists. He was a, I, I, I picture him or I talk about him as a melancholy child. Okay. Um, our second son was just the opposite. He was the cheerful, everything is good. I can do this. But Matthew was different in that respect. Yeah. But we worked with him for years on his self-esteem, on his his whole attitude of life. 
And we, we were a Christian family. We, you know, we talked about scripture. We attended worship every Sunday. So it wasn't that we were without help along the way, but here was the problem. I never, ever anticipated that the problem would end in a suicide. Yeah. I mean, you probably have problems with something that's going on in your family, but do you ever think? that it would go to that. And 32 years ago, suicide, you know, the drug problem wasn't really as prevalent as it is today. And I want to just give one more statistic. 93,000 people were killed last or died last year in America due to drug overdoses. Mm -hmm. Now, some of that is accidental. That's true. But some of that is intentional. So that 45,000 is expanded. You know, we are not getting the right numbers. But anyways, besides the point, we did not think Matthew would take his life. And so for us, it was a horrific shock. We were plunged into this depth of despair. So it was difficult. So so leading up to when you found out, what, what, what were you doing, say, the morning of? Like, I don't know you know, all, all the circumstances and we, we don't have to go that deep, but just like, was it just a normal day? And then how did you find out? Oh, that is such an interesting question. Um, Matthew went missing for okay. two days and my husband was frantic. He searched everywhere. We lived more out in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, I, on the other hand, I put my faith on the line and I said, I'm trusting you, Lord, that everything will be okay. Um, I just prayed that he was safe. And I just thought, we'll find him. He's at a boyfriend's house. He's someplace, you know, you just don't Mm. always think about that. He was 18. He was going to be graduating from high school. And my husband searched frantically for him and found him. Two days later, he was hanging from a tree in a woods near our house. And uh, I know I was at a a church teaching a women's Bible class. Tom came and told us and told me and our whole life just fell apart. Yeah, of course. Jeez, I'm getting getting tears in my eyes just trying to imagine that scenario. Yes, imagine that with one of your children. I mean, you can't even fathom that. You can't even recognize that that happened. In fact, I think one of the first horrific things about a suicide is your life is in total confusion. Yes. You, know, you can't even think straight. You know, you, you're going through the day like this is surreal. This isn't really happening. You're trying to prepare a funeral. I mean, you're not even imagining that this happened. Yeah. And it isn't until it's over that you are sunk into this pit of self-pity and blame and guilt as a mother yeah. And so that whole thing just, I, I fell apart. That's the only thing I can say in all truthfulness and honesty is I fell apart. And I stayed there for such a long time. Yeah, And that's the part that I, I, I feel so strongly to help others. And I'm so compassionate toward others because I know the battles. And in my book, I have defined the battles i have six battles there that i talk about and you know you've got to name them you've got to define them like you talk about clarity all the time 
We have to have clarity in what must we do to heal. And you don't have that clarity at first. It took me years to kind of sift through all of this. First of all, I was very angry. I was, and you know who I was angry at, don't you? <laughs> God. Okay, yeah. I was angry at God. I know, I know it sounds terrible and I hate to even mm. say that, but I'm very, very vulnerable and honest in my book. I don't give trite answers. I, I share from my heart Yes. And I share my honesty and my my really true emotions. Um, so it's a it's it's a journey that people need to have the pain affirmed. Yeah. You know, so you can't this, just move this over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So did did he did he leave any clues behind? Because I know one of the biggest things has to be why. Yes, he covered his tracks. We did not know a thing until afterwards. He did leave a message, a lovely letter for us, okay. which is such a blessing. He never faulted us as parents. Yeah. Which, you know, that you would think that would all help. But, mm. you know, you just can't help but blame yourself in part. Yeah. You know, I must have been part of the problem. And so that's a difficult thing to get over as a mother, yeah. as a wife, our marriage. Oh, my goodness. At that time, Robert, the statistic was 94% of all marriages where there was a suicide of a child, 94% would end in divorce. Wow. So we, we tried very hard and it was a battle for that, too. But we made it. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> See, that's the key. That's the key. Like when how it says up above us, your true power lies in your story. Like I tell people, every everyone everyone goes through loss at some point. Like no family lives forever. So at some point you're gonna go through through loss. But the power is in the like you just said, but we're still here. You know, you you could have let that situation take hold of you. Well, you said you did struggle for for a while, you know, with your own self-healing. But some people could have, could have taken something like that and gone down a destructive path, you know. And so, how did how did you guys keep it together? Well, one day I walked out and said I'd rather live by myself. I slammed the door and I was driving in my car, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, "What am I doing?" I thought I drove and I drove and I drove for hours, mm. and. Here's here's the truth of the matter. If I would have left the relationship and left our family, then our family would truly be broken, would yeah. be, you know, apart. And then, you know, I, my relationship with my younger son would have been damaged. And here's the really thought that pulled me back. I would not be able to really, who would understand my 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 journey who would understand that the only person in the world who understood everything was my husband tom husband. Yep. yeah i mean you know that you share everything we had been through this journey matthew was not an easy child to raise um so we had we had worked through a lot of struggles with matthew along the way who would understand that just tom so here we are married 54 years wow <laughs> Congratulations. Well, thank you. That's amazing. So how, how old was your younger son when this happened? 
He was 14. He was okay. just starting high school. Right, so he was old, old enough to, to know what happened. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yes. Right. And, and, he and was, how did he, that affect him? He was a different child. You know, as you look at your five children, mm-hmm. you know, you see those differences. And yes. um, Nathan was, uh, my glass is full and overflowing. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, in my book, I share that on Thursday, we buried our son and on Saturday, our younger son went to the junior prom. Okay. And just think about that dichotomy. Uh, yep. I mean, did I feel like I wanted to be, you know, and of course we had to have the pictures and everything else mm-hmm. that goes with the prom. You can't take that away. Yes. And so we had to choose what we had over what we had lost. And I'm so happy that we had the strength to do everything just so shortly after our son's burial. So again, it's a struggle, but you have to answer a question. Here's something that I really share with every interview that I've done, and I've done so many. You have to answer this question. What am I going to choose? What am I going to choose today? Am I going to choose life? Am I going to choose this depression, this bitterness? And I had to answer the question, do you want to get well, Elaine? Now, it took me many years. Please, don't think that I was anything supernatural. (laughs) I didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. And in my book, I share all my mistakes. But I finally had to answer that question. Do you want to get well or do you want to stay in this pit of bitterness and sadness and sorrow and self-pity? Yes, I, I, I agree. So I help people create, create stories from their personal experiences. And it's situations like this where I find it's the most powerful because it's the it's, a, it's the parent's worst night, nightmare. You know, like parents should, should not have to bury their child. But there's still lessons in there, you know. And so, like, obviously that's what prompted you to write a book. And now in your retirement, you're de- dedicating yourself to helping people heal. Because in that struggle, in that moment of pain, a whole new door of power opened up to you. And so many people can't recognize that like they can't get to that place so it takes people like us to help them get to that place like one of my one of my gym clients he lost his son when his son was nine and so we were doing a class this one day and he was up against the wall he had his head up against the wall and I was like hey what's going on and you know he's he's crying he's like I just miss him you know and now I've I've never I've never had to, to bury a child knock on wood but I still know what it feels like to lose someone. And so I just put my arm around him and I was like, you know, he can see you. I was like, do do you think he wants to see you like this? Or do you want to come off of that wall and let him see his dad kicking ass in this workout? You know? And so he kind of stood, stood up. He looked at me. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Right. I said, now go make him proud. You know, and he was able to get back into it. So it is possible to take something that could be the worst thing ever and still turn it into something positive. 
I agree totally. The sad thing is that people, I don't think, understand this about grief in general. I don't think I've ever said this on an interview. We're going to share it with you. Yes. (laughs) Here's the deal. There are times, even yet today, it has been 32 years since I lost my son. And do you think that I have stopped crying or missing him? No, I mean, my life is normal. My life is normal. But there'll be maybe after this interview, I'm going to think about this and I'm going to cry. I have learned this. It's nothing bad about crying. There's nothing wrong with crying. Even 32 later, you still miss that person. Yes. He missed his son. And, and you took an approach that helped him because he was in that setting of working out and doing yeah. something physical. And so he could do that. Yeah. But oftentimes, and especially women, I mean, you know, women cry more. I mean, that's yes. not news. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. That's okay. You know what I look at my tears as? They are my scars. And I am proud of my mm. scars because I made it through. And I have joy, I have happiness, I have a beautiful life. And you have a choice. Are you going to stay stuck? It was a beautiful thing for that man to share that with you. Really, it's hard for men to share stuff like that. So you did real good. <laughs> yes, and, and that's my next battle with that. And now I'm guilty of it myself from years past, you know, try, trying to say, you know, men crying is a sign of weakness. But as I'm getting older now, I'm realizing like being vulnerable is your ultimate strength because especially if you're in the influencer world, author world, like however you're choosing to inspire others, people get inspired from your struggles and how you got through the struggle. So like I lost my father two years ago. And as you said, you know, there are days where I'm just like, God, I just want to hear his voice. I just, I just want to give him a hug, you know, yes. and then there's, there's other days where I just spend it just telling all the funny stuff he did, all the, all the deep life lessons that he gave us. You know, it's like, I was 45 when he passed. So it was like, I had 45 years of memories of lessons of tough love of him being at my sporting events. And, and I just, I just stepped into all of that. And even with, with, with you, 18 is it's young, but you still had 18 years of memories with him that you can still lean into and you can lean into the pictures and, and just all the happy, mem- uh, happy memories and, you know, all that quality time that you spent with him. So it's like when I get into, into those modes, I just go back and think, you know, there are people that never even knew their father. I was like, and I had mine for 45 years. It's like, if I let this consume me, I'm kind of being selfish. You know, like my niece, we had to, we had to bury her two-year-old son. This was back in, this was back in April, two years old. He got, he, like, he wasn't acting right. You know, just like he was acting like something was wrong. And they brought him to the hospital on a Thursday. He got diagnosed with, I believe it was leukemia. And then he passed away that Tuesday. It's like they didn't even really have any time to process it, you know. But it's like, and and with her, I mean, two. It's only two years, but I but I still tell her, my like, but listen, step into those two years. Just step into it. Like there are people that that give birth to stillborns. So even though this is the worst thing on earth, it still could have been worse. Well, and there's something to learn through this pain. Yes. 
we learn through different times in our life, different ways. And pain is a is a is a serious teacher. Yes. You know, we can't just ignore that loss. You can't just smooth it over and say, well, things will get better. That's mm. not the plan that works, at least with me. I think you yeah. have to affirm the pain. It was yes. a terrible loss to lose a two-year-old. Any child is a terrible, any death is a loss. Yeah. You know, so when we're dealing with a death, but a sudden death or a tragic death, I, I would call your sister's situation a tragic death. Yes. That, that just is a two-year-old. You know, we can't even bear them getting sick, let alone yeah. dying. So, yeah. you know, those are tragic, those tragic deaths or sudden deaths. Like the woman that was talking yesterday or speaking to you yesterday, you know, it's a sudden death. They are alive one minute and gone the next. So it's like, wow, you're instantly put into a grief situation. And yes. that's hard. Like your sister, she was instantly or in a few days, just her child was gone, you know, and, yes. and that's such a difficult thing. Now, suicide adds that whole complex issue of the choice. They yes. chose to leave. Your dad did not want to leave. My son, Matthew, chose to leave. And that's a difficult thing to work through. And as a mother, you know, I took it so personally. It must have been me. And you, you know, you, you berate yourself. You yeah. blame yourself. You're so hard on yourself. And that was, that was so negative. It was so damaging. Honestly, this is the truth. I felt I did not deserve to heal. Mm. Ouch. That's wrong. Everyone yeah. deserves to heal. Everyone can heal. It's yeah. a long battle. It won't be easy, but you can do it. And I am living proof that a marriage can make it, a family can function. Uh, we are enjoying our grandchildren, enjoying our life. And, and I'm not stuck in that terrible pit of unforgiveness it really is has a lot to do with forgiveness yes and i i've mentioned this a lot on this on this these shows is that for, forgiveness starts within you know it starts within like too many people look for external sources of forgiveness or acceptance things things of that nature but it has to start on the inside you know, because like once once you're at peace, nothing out, nothing externally can drive you off course. Like nothing mm -hmm. can. And so, when I get on here and I do these speeches, and and I do talks about some controversial topics also, and then you know, like I just did did a post about the the vaccinations the other day, and you know, some people start start attacking me, but it's like I'm I'm very firm in my belief that there's nothing that you can say. You can call me stupid. You can call me uneducated. You can call me this. You can call me that. And your labels mean nothing to me. But, but I, and I share that because I think some people are afraid to come to grips with it out of fear of judgment from others. Oh, you know, when you get to be my age, you don't care so much about judgment from others. <laughs> That's one of the benefits of enjoying, uh, you know, your retirement in, in your 70s. It's awesome. I love my life now. 
But you know, the, the topic of forgiveness, it does start within yourself. And in my book, I, I, I call it, for, I call forgiveness your hardest task, but your greatest reward. And yes. I suggest people make a list. Who do you all have to forgive? You know, it may be the, the man who sold the gun or woman who sold the gun to your loved one. Um, it may be the doctors. I was so angry at the doctors. Why didn't they see this coming? I had to forgive a whole list of, of medical personnel. I had to forgive our church. No one helped us. People wouldn't even sit in the pew with us. Wow. I mean, it was horrendous. I mean, I, I struggled with a long list. And the most difficult one was myself. Yes. You know, we think that we are going to, oh, let's see. If we don't heal, then our we didn't really love that person. Mm. Does that make sense to you? You know, yes. you sometimes think, well, yeah. I have to keep Matthew. I have to keep going in this process because, first of all, I thought I deserved it, which was really wrong. I had to understand the forgiveness of God also. And, you know, yeah. I have been a Christian since I'm a little girl. Yeah. And did I ever really understand what forgiveness means? You know what? I do now yeah. because I understand that Matthew's sin is forgiven. If, if I did contribute in any way to my son's demise, I'm forgiven. And I have to forgive myself because if God can forgive me, then I can't put myself above God, can I? And that took me years to understand. But that's why I share all of this in my book, because I really do care. I want to help hurting people get better. Yes. See, and, and I know it sounds like a contradiction when I say that you can't look at external sources. But the external sources, like what we do, you know, like people would turn to your book to learn how to heal from within. You know, people listen to shows like this one so you can learn to heal from from within. Because, like, it's it's yeah. a skill that you you can learn, and it's just, it's something that I had to learn. And it wasn't even through a loss; it was through I was an athlete my entire life. You know, so it's it's a different scenario, but it's still relevant to the conversation. And when I when I started in track and field as a freshman, I was five foot four, and I was under 90 pounds. I was scrawny, scrawny, scrawny. And so I remember I walked into the track practice and I asked my track coach for the record books. And he kind of looked at me up and down like, you want the record book? Because at, at, that, at that point, I did not look the part at all. But in my mind, I was like, I'm breaking this one. I'm breaking this one. I was like, okay, thanks. And so, and I worked, I worked hard. You know, I worked really, really hard. And then my senior year in the high jump and the triple jump, I was undefeated. And so going into the state meet, it had rained a little bit. I had left a message for my father to get me some quarter inch pyramid spikes. Right, so I don't know if you know what that means, but there's different shapes and, and widths for the spikes. He ended up getting me eighth inch pin, which are a lot smaller than the quarter inch pyramid. So now it had rained. So the high jump surface was slick. And I let that get into my head. And now I had busted my tail so I could become state champion, you know. 
And so I get out there, I take my first jump, and I end up slipping. And then I just let that get in my head. Instead of the rational thing, hindsight 2020, would have been to find someone with quarter-inch uh, pyramid spikes and swap them out, right? That that would have been the rational thing to do. But instead, I got all up and down. So long story short, I ended up getting third place. And so I was 17. It wasn't until I was 30 until I finally let that go. And I remember I was at, I was at, I was managing restaurants then and I was in the back just venting because I was still, still mad about it. Venting and one of the, the waitresses comes up to me and she's like, Rob, she's like, you have got to let that go. She's like, it's not healthy for you at 30 years old to be holding on to something when you were 17. She's like a sporting event, <laughs> you know. And so, <laughs> like I said, it's not—it's not even like I lost someone <laughs> at that age, <laughs> you know. But but it was—it was just the fact that I was so dedicated, like that—that that was my craft. Like I—I I wasn't dating. I wasn't like I—I I went to I went to school. I went to work. I trained for track and field. Like that was my everything. And then when it didn't come to to fruition, I held so much anger not not really at my dad i was more so mad that it rained like out of all the days to rain right out of all the days to rain you pick this one <laughs> you know but, but finally i was able to move on from that and then i started coaching and then i used the lessons i'm like what lessons can i take from this experience to where i can now give back to the younger athletes so it, like it all comes full circle so you took your your mess you went through your your emotions of being angry and feeling guilty, and but now it's all come full full circle. You wrote your book, and now you're dedicated to inspiring others. So, take me to to the process that led you to write your book. Oh wow! Well, that was a process, but you know, and I know you feel the same way. Just this interview has taught this. <laughs> to me, you and I would say someone tapped, tapped me on the shoulder and said, I have a job for you to do, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so and true. of course, I, I didn't jump up and say, oh, yes, let me do this. Let me do this. <laughs> but in my heart, I knew that we had very little help in our marriage, in our church, in our friends. I don't care what it was. We had very little help. And I thought, I'm going to try to help someone else, truly. Yeah. I mean, that sounds so lovely. Um, but I, I really have that heartfelt compassion toward others because it is so difficult to crawl out of that pit of bitterness and self-pity. Yeah. You just constantly go, why me? Why me? Why was I chosen for this? I just could have stay here forever and be miserable. Well, that didn't help. I tried that. And that question, Elaine, do you want to get well? You know, it actually, I, I didn't think of that question. That yeah. question is really in the Gospel of John. And Jesus asks this man who has been laying by the pool for 38 years. He was crippled for 30 years eight years and you know what jesus asks him a question do you want to get well and as a younger person i didn't never did understand that question because here's what i thought i thought well of course he wants to get well yeah. who would want to be crippled <laughs> the guy wants to get up and walk of course he wants to get well <laughs> but when you are in that 
that grief cycle for so long, you tell yourself, I'm going to be here forever. Yes. And so I, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Elaine, do you want to get well? And I thought, yes, I do want to get well. And this was, of course, you know, 10, 12, 15 years after Matthew died. And Matthew died when I was 44. So yeah. I, I was in my 50s and I thought, you know, I have a lot of life left to live. Yeah. And um, so I thought, yes, I do want to get well. So how am I going to do this? And I actually, uh, I started smiling more. Honestly, I, it starts <laughs> with baby steps. Yes. Yeah. Everything, learning how to run, learning track and field, learning any sport, anything. It's 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 baby steps. And so I thought I've got to smile more. You know, when you're in this angry, bitter, you, you walk around like this. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got that chip on your shoulder. And I decided, no, I'm going to be more myself. I always was like I am now. And so I missed that. Um, First of all, I missed the companionship with God. Yes. You know, I had pretty well put him out of my life. I don't need you. I can do this by myself. Thank you very much. And found out that wasn't true. And so um, my little baby step after answering the question, yes, I want to get well. Okay. Then I thought I got to smile more. I started smiling at strangers and the, the strangest thing happened. They smiled back. Yep. <laughs> and made me feel better. And I thought, oh, there must be a lot of hurting people in the world. And so I just started being kind, you know, opening a door for someone. When you are wrapped up in yourself, you're not thinking any kind thoughts. And so I started just being kind, giving myself away, doing more acts of kindness, you know, just sharing cookies with someone. I mean, it can be the simplest act, but that really started changing my behavior. And I started, of course, in our church. It took me a long time. We changed churches, but it took me a long time to get active. And But I did. And I started just, good morning. I stood at the door and I shook somebody's hand and I said, good morning. Or I, I served coffee. You know, it just those were all the things that helped me to heal. It's the harvest principle. You've heard of that. You yes. know, we sow yes. what we reap. No, we, we reap what we sow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's you. huge. That is very healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that goes back into the law of attraction. It's like you, you get what you focus on. That's, that's, it's, true you know it's a fact if you if you only focus on negative thoughts you're only gonna uncover negative things you know so like again going back to the law the loss of my father i can sit there and just think all of the 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 woe is me and focus on on the loss i I remember i walked when i walked in for his for his uh he was a vietnam veteran so down at the veterans um memorial that they did the the 10 gun salute for him and because he always made it clear that he didn't want a funeral, but we we still wanted to do that for him. Sure. And and so like as I as I had gotten there, I was heard people were wondering, you know, like how's how's Rob gonna be? How's Rob gonna be? And I walked in and I was all I was all smiles. I was all smiles. I was hugging the family, you know, like the, the people who were t- taking it harder. I was there there for them being strong. Because because like with with that, it it wasn't sudden. 
you know, so it's like we had we had a few weeks to prepare. And then we ultimately ended up stopping care. And then but we had he had three generations around him. So like he had a very, very good ending. And none of us are getting out, out of this alive, you know. So it's <laughs> but like seriously, if I could go the way he did, he had he had min- minimal suffering. I mean, you know, he lost a lot of weight, he had to use a walker tor- towards the end. But one of the last things he did before going to the hospital was he and my son fixed my my uh yeah, he and my son fixed my mom's car. You know, like he was an engineer, he was always building stuff, and he used to always say in his forties and his fifties when once he couldn't build anymore like that's when his time was going to be up and he pretty much called it you know so for me i just stepped into the fact that it's not so much that i lost him i am so glad that he went the way he wanted to you know with, with family around him you know the last thing he did was fixing my mom's car you know we all got to say got to say goodbye like they reduced the sedation enough to where he he was alert and then you know like my mom asked him like are you in any pain and he shook his head no and she's like you know you understand what because they, they had it they, they had a discussion before the surgery and so and and you know th- dad told her if, if it gets to a point to where we you know you have to make a decision he's like don't hesitate you know so he was well aware of what was happening you know, we gave the nurses the thumbs up, you know, they shut this everything up and, and he wow. passed very, very quickly, you know, so it's like, you know, I, I just took joy in the fact that he didn't suffer. Like that was his biggest thing. Like he didn't want to be 90 with the hunchback and can't wipe himself. And it, it, you know what I mean? Like he just didn't want to be that person. You know, God, God bless those people. But, but, but my dad, that he didn't want that. He was very active and he wanted to stay active. So when you can take a situation and make it bigger than your personal feelings, you'll have a faster track to, to healing, in my opinion. Yes, and you are choosing life. Yes. You know, we have to choose what we have over what we lost. Yeah. Even with a sickness, you know, as I get older, you know, things aren't the same. You know, I have orthopedic problems, back problems, knee problems. Mm-hmm. But if you really, truly want to enjoy the time that you have to live, then you choose life over misery, over, yes. you know what it is? I found I found this to be so true. We believe lies yeah. and our behavior is based on lies. Now, the truth in your dad was he had a very rich, full life, and he was ready to meet his Savior. Now, I wasn't ready for Matthew to leave at 18. And, of course, suicide brings into it so many more complex thoughts. But I believed the lie that I deserved never to heal. Mm. That is a terrible lie. We yes. all deserve to enjoy the life that God has given to us. And I could still be back there in that pit. I could still be there if I would have made the choice to stay. So it's a choice to, to not believe the lie. It's a choice to move forward. It's a choice to do the right thing. And I constantly, when I was starting out with my baby steps, yeah. I constantly thought, what would be the next right thing to do? 
Yes. Those little baby steps. And you know what it is. <laughs> but sometimes we just get so not going to do it. Well, <laughs> then you're not going to heal. And you understand bingo. that concept so well. Yes, bingo. Uh, one of my... I just started a new a new uh, program about story creation, like I mentioned earlier, and I have a, a gentleman that I'm working with. He's sixty year sixty years old, and he's never really come to grips with the passing of his mom. And now he's a he's a speaker, he's a podcast host, and I told him I was like, you know what, I want I want to help you navigate through that because there's power in the story. You know, there's power in the story. So, like, there's someone right now who is dealing with that same thing, and they need to hear it the way you can tell it. You know what I mean? Like, there's 7 billion people out there, and people have different different energy sources that they gravitate to. You know, so for someone, people like us, we might be too intense for them. You know, so, like, maybe they'll need to hear from someone who's a little more mild spoken, you know, like we're both loud and, and hyped, you know, it's like that doesn't, that doesn't work for everyone, right? It's just a fact. It doesn't. So the more that I can inspire people to tell the messy parts of their stories, because there's people out there that need to hear it through and see it through their lens, you know, cause like, like I can tell what one of my kids something and then someone else will tell them the exact same thing and they'll run with it. I was like, it's like I've been telling you that for six months, <laughs> you know, but, but just the way it's coming from me, that's not the way they need to hear it, you know, so they hear it from another point of view. And so that's why I started doing what I'm doing with that storytelling, that storytelling, because people have stuff inside that they just don't know how to process, you know, so hats off to you for putting yourself out there and, you know, coming to grips and basically reliving what happened over and over, but you're doing it with that positive light. Well, and I think sometimes a book is a little different. You know, you can read a page or two and put it away. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why I am so honest in my approach. And of course, after I name the battles, I do go into hope and healing. And that, of course, was my favorite part of the book. But because yeah. I did give actual steps on, on how to do this. And so I think sometimes the written word is a little mm. easier for someone who is grieving to accept. You know, you can pick it up mm. and read it and put it down. Yeah. And that's the, the benefit, I think, of, of, of having something to read that will you can internalize. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100 percent. All right. So we, we, we got to break it down. So give me a give me a final message. <laughs> A final message is, if you have lost a loved one to suicide or, you know, right now, the statistics say that 54% of all Americans have been affected by a suicide. That's over half. Okay. So if you have been affected by a suicide, maybe someone in your neighborhood, someone in your church, or maybe it's a coworker, you know, and you, you know, you don't know what to do. Even this book would even help you because it just gives you a, 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 a plan on how to heal. And you can kind of work that into your relationship to that person. You may not have lost a family member. But of course, if you have lost someone in your immediate family, you need to get help. 
I had a psychologist for three years that helped me. I was on some meds that helped me. There are things to help. But I am, I call myself, Rob, a wounded healer. I have walked the path that you have if you have lost a loved one to suicide. I have walked the path and I have healed. I found peace in my life. I have joy in my life. And I would love to help your listeners heal. Love it. Perfect. So your website is up here and it's Elaine Kennelly, K-E-N-N-E-L-L-Y, for those listening on the audio. And Wait, can I just enter? I, oh, yeah. I have another domain name that I added because nobody knows how to spell my name or pronounce my name. So <laughs> it's www.suicidehealing.com. There we go. That's easy. Suicidehealing.com. And I have a wonderful website. I have a blog on there every week, every Monday morning, a short two-minute read. And um, I try to just, you know, give an encouraging word. Love it. Perfect. So, all right, I'm going to do my outro, but don't sign off yet. So even even when I say goodbye, don't don't sign (laughs) off. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for join, joining the show and sharing your, your experiences and what you do. So again, you guys are interested in connecting with Elaine or getting her book and or getting her book. Again, it's suicidehealing.com. And again, have uh, a great rest of your day and I'll be in touch. All right. Take care. All righty. So if you're joining late, like I say every show, make sure you go back and watch all of it. So it's a little, little bit shorter today because we had some tech issues. But um, I will be back. I don't think I'm here tomorrow. Am I? I am not here tomorrow. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, I'm not here tomorrow. I'm <laughs> sorry. So I'll be back on Friday with Dr. Mark. We'll be having another deep conversation into his backstory all to help you get through whatever struggle it is that you find yourself in. These shows are designed to help you get through it. So using mine and my guest stories. All right, so that's all I have for you for today. Enjoy. Enjoy.